when the time for Rio came up, they, you know, I was, uh, I was asked to go and I said, yes, of course, because you never say no to the Olympic games. And it knew it was just right place, right time, treat everyone right, work your ass off, love the sport, love the athletes, uh, communicate well. And luckily my, my, my language proficiency really helped me with the different teams. And so I just kind of, I just, that's how I built it. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to weightlifter, coach, and photographer, Steve Galvan. Steve is a multi-talented force in weightlifting, and for both the Rio and Tokyo Olympic Games, he was the official International Weightlifting Federation photographer. He's also known in the community as the photographer behind sick angles, which makes sense. He gets the sickest angles for some of the world's biggest lifts. We catch up about Steve's unlikely path from photography volunteer to an exclusive seat on the world's biggest stage. Before we get into that, I want to give a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Athletic Greens. I first tried Athletic Greens way back in 2012. It was already a massively popular daily supplement, and since then, they've undergone dozens of formulation tweaks, each an improvement on the last. It's the rare all-in-one green supplement that's NSF certified, a must for competitive athletes, and also tastes delicious. Interested in trying it? Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash barbed to get a free gift with your purchase. Now let's get on to the show. Steve, it is so good to chat. We've known each other for a while. Happy belated birthday, by the way. I believe our birthdays are one day apart. Yeah, mine's the 20th. One's yours? The, the 28th of July. So I remember that at, at Pan Am's in 2017, everyone kept saying happy birthday and we were sitting, clo- sitting close to each other. And I was like, I was like, how do people know my birthday? But they were wishing you happy birthday. <laughs> and it was a day early. That's how I remember it. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, cool, man. Both. Le- All right. So that that's a little bit of a, of a, I guess a preview because we're going to talk about weightlifting today. And you are someone who's worn a lot of different hats in weightlifting coach, athlete, uh, announcer, multilingual announcer, and and photographer, most recently photographer at the Tokyo Olympic Games. Let's go way back. How did you first get exposed to weightlifting? That's a good question. So I ran track in college at Texas A&M in the mid-90s. And I started uh, doing power cleans and squats and you know learning a little snatch. We didn't do a whole lot as hurdlers. So that was kind of my first introduction. And then in 1997, no, I started CrossFit, started learning the lifts, and um, I wasn't very good, man. I was a track guy. Like, I was 180 pounds, and I have no quads. I've never had quads. I'm just not that guy. I was a jumper and a hurdler. Like, I was just not known for, for like, utmost strength. And so when I did CrossFit, like, everybody, I was good at a lot of stuff, but I was just terrible at the lifting. So I was like, you know what? I'm super competitive. I want to beat everybody. I want to get better at this. So I just started practicing the lifts more. And I drove up an hour and a half to Ursula, uh, Papa Andrea, Ursula Garza, her house up in Pflugerville, Texas. So it's an hour and a half from my house. And I just drove up there twice a week for private lessons. Whoo, that's that's a commute. 
Yeah, it's a commute, buddy. It was a commitment. It was like 210 miles round trip. Um, and then she finally was like, all right, you don't have to keep paying me all this crazy money. You can just train with me because she knew I was committed. Um, and so that's how it started. It, it, and it was probably like in 2011 ish, 2011 ish when I started like trying to compete, uh, just as a master, just for fun, just trying to get better. Um, and then I started coaching people and it it just kind of all grew from there. Okay. So that explains the coach and athlete part. And I've seen you coach athletes and, and you're very, you're very passionate in a lot of stuff you do. Let's talk about some of the other roles you play. Um, I want to talk about as, as an announcer and color commentator, we've done some color commentary sessions together. It's been a lot of fun, but I've also seen you as an announcer at international events. You're breaking out, you know, I don't know, doing it in three languages sometimes. Yeah, Spanish, Portuguese. Um, I can decent pronunciation with French. And I know a little bit of Russian, just Yagavoryu Tuparuski. So just very little, enough to get me in trouble or get me a beer. So, okay, Spanish, Portuguese, and then also English. So I'll see you break out three in a row. Very, very useful at the, at the Pan Ams. Uh, how did you first start doing that? And was, was there like a call? They're like, hey, we need someone who can speak these three languages. And you just kind of like shoot your hand up? No, they, they, um, they knew. Uh, so the USA, the Federation knew I spoke the languages. Pedro Maloney and I were good friends and, and I'm him and I only speak in Portuguese when we, we hang out. So they knew I spoke all the languages. Um, so they asked me, they called me and they were like, Hey, can you do this? Like you speak all the languages that we need for the, for the Pan American championships. So like, will you do it? And so I was like, yeah, but I think I had negotiated to get paid because I was like, look, it's a lot of work and it's hard. Like, yeah, you have to get, do something for me. And so, you know, they hooked it up there. Um, but that was like really my first foray into international speaking experience. I mean, I, I run my own meet, so I know how to announce a meet, but you know, it's funny, David, at that meet. And I don't know if I told you is that I was told it was in English and then Spanish was secondary and Portuguese was tertiary or whatever. So that right when, before we started 10 minutes, they're like, Oh, never mind. You have to do the whole thing in Spanish to start and I was like, whoa, I was not prepared for that to be my primary. Um, so one of the Dominican Republic officials, um, she sat with me and helped me like just get off the ground on my first session. And then I was good after that. I was flying high. When, when did you, did you grow up speaking all three of these languages or was this later nope. on in life? No. So um, in 2000 and what was it? 2000 and. I got out of college, man. I, I'm, I really got to think 2002 or 2003. Uh, I went to Brazil with some buddies for a month and we just went crazy. Right. <laughs> but I couldn't speak Spanish or Portuguese. So I was super lost. I didn't really have as much fun as I wanted to. So when I got back, I said, you know, I just spent a month in Brazil and I, I talked to nobody. I didn't make, I didn't meet a girlfriend. Like I was just kind of bored and lonely the whole time. I was really upset. I said, that'll never happen to me again. So I enrolled myself the next week into a language school and started learning Spanish, taking um, classes as well as private classes in Spanish for like a year and a half. And then as soon as I got proficient enough in Spanish to run business and to do all the stuff I needed to do, I immediately hired a Portuguese instructor and started learning Portuguese. So, I mean, I went like Four four and a half years balls to the wall with both languages. Wow, that's a, doing it as an adult too. Rarely do you see someone 
you know, kind of develop that mastery because they were self-motivated later in life. So kudos to you. Yeah, it was, it was tough, but I also learned that I do have a, a knack for learning languages. Some people are just better at things than others. Um, so that to me is, it's actually became very easy comparatively speaking for me to learn those languages. Um, I'm good at languages. I know that. So, so yeah, it was a, it's a blessing. It's got, it's opened so many doors for me. Uh, I mean, this is why I'm on this podcast, right? Like, because I could speak some languages. It's, it's crazy. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick shout out to our episode sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is the daily all-in-one supplement with vitamins, minerals, probiotics, adaptogens, and more to help your body perform at the highest level. It mixes easily, tastes delicious, and is a personal favorite way for me to start the day. And yes, I actually am a repeat customer. Visit athleticgreens.com forward slash barbin today to check it out. Now let's get back to the show. Well, let's talk a little bit about having to do commentary or uh, announcing in three different languages. I mean, did you have brain fry? I know the answer here because I was with you those days, but but I would imagine you'd kind of have to be dragged out of the chair just because your brain is switching gears so many times. Yeah. So so I went through that when I once I learned Spanish and then I transitioned over to Portuguese. I actually wasn't very good at Spanish afterwards. Like and my brain couldn't flip back and forth, but it took a, it took a while. I don't know, eight months to nine months or so. And then I was able to do both. So I think after you do, after you announce a session, even in English, I think your brain is fried think about the clock and the rules and you know, the, the jury's making a stop and you have to be ready for all that. So you're on high alert and then doing it in three languages um, yeah, it puts a little more strain on you. Luckily it's a little more scripted, you know, you know what you're going to say and you know how to say it. So I was mentally tired when I was done, but honestly, like it wasn't, it wasn't like monumental for me. It, it, it was something I could handle. Uh, I really enjoyed. Um, so it, it was a lot of fun. It's interesting. Cause I remember, remember, back, I remember back to that Pan Am, sorry, I'm flubbing over my words in English. Clearly I need to work on my mastery of a single language here, but I'm thinking back to that. And it was in South Florida, not far from Miami, but not in Miami. And we were basically, as someone put it, we weren't quite in the Everglades, but we were in a glade, you know what yeah, I mean? It was man, right on the swamp. It was, it was, that was weird. It was way out there. I saw an alligator close to where we were like, like no fooling, like actually saw one. I was like, okay, I don't see that in New York city a lot. Maybe in the sewer, maybe in the sewers, maybe you just don't tell anyone about that. But um, it's interesting to me because when I got there, I'd I'd spent some time in Miami before that and in South Florida before that. And I don't speak any Spanish and I'm just kind of used to not knowing what's going on. And yeah, we, you get, you get there and like Spanish is, you hear a lot more Spanish than English. And it's crazy. Like every single Uber driver I had, was all Spanish speaking. The people at the gym that I went to, they're all Spanish speaking. Like, you know, it, yeah, it's, it is. It's another world down in Miami, down in South Florida. Um, well, I, I also remember it ended up being a very a, a pleasant experience. I remember the folks being really friendly, the weightlifting community, and obviously in, in the international weightlifting community, super, super friendly in the Pan American Federation. But it did flood. It The tr- outdoor training hall did flood. And I just remember there was no way to get cool. I know they had the air conditioning going, but man, in the swamp, in the middle of the summer, late July, I don't know how the athletes did it. I was sweating just sitting there. Yeah. So you have to remember too, a lot of the athletes from the South American countries and the Caribbean and even Central America, I mean, they're used to it. Like when you go to Pan Am's in Ecuador or Colombia, it's a sweat box. Um, You know, 
I did, I was a team leader at Junior Pan Ams in, in, in Guayaquil in Ecuador. And the, out, the stadium was an outdoor stadium. Like, that's what we lifted it. It was insane. Like, people, yeah. So there you totally used to it. You know, the Yankees, like you up in up the East Coast, like you're not used to the humidity and the heat, man. I'm in South Texas. I'm used to dying in the summer, every summer. But yeah, you're right. It, it does take its toll on you. Um, it is. It's it's hot and humid, and it's really hard to cool down because when you run an AC system to pull out humidity, you have to run it super, super cold for a long time just to get that humidity out. Well, two things about that. First, that's the first time I've ever been called a Yankee on this podcast. I probably deserve it at this point. I've lived in New York for a decade. And the second thing I'll say is one benefit of lifting in very humid weather. I, I got a couple workouts in when I was down there. Man, my squat positioning was about two inches lower than normal. I feel like I was already kind of lubricated and warm. Dude, you warm up so much faster. I, you know, I'm a big, as a coach, I'm a big proponent of, of a really extensive warm up to get the body warm. Uh, considering if you're working out in a normal, like 70 degree gym kind of thing or 68 degree gym, you got to warm up. People don't, people don't do that. So a lot of my athletes always hated it. All the warmups I made them do because it's actually better for you. Like you move better, you'll get lower, you can lift more when it comes down to it. So it's, it's a good thing. Well, let's transition a little bit and talk about yet another career you have in weightlifting. And that's, we'll talk about, uh, should I address you as your alter ego at sick angles on Instagram? Let's let uh, give the people what they want. Well, I'm talking to, to, to sick Mr. Angles himself here. And, you know, I thought I knew kind of everything you did at a certain point in weightlifting. And then suddenly you're the official photographer of weightlifting at the Olympic games for two Olympics in a row. Let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, I mean, it, so, so you want to know how it started? Of course. So it was 2014 and I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at a bar with Mr. Hook Grip, Nat Aram. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we're hanging out, we're buddies. I'm staying at his place and we're just out, like out on the town. And uh, he's not a big drinker and I've been known to party, but I wasn't drinking a ton. So I having a couple of drinks. I had a shot. And I was like, you know, I really want to go to the world championships in Kazakhstan. Ilya is going to be there. Narudinov going to be there. Like Benzin Yan, like Pat Mendez, like a lot of people I knew, a lot of people I kind of idled, like they're all going to go. So he's like, you should just go. And I was like, well, yeah, but I mean, like it's Kazakhstan. Dude. I don't know anything. I don't speak the language. I have nothing. So he's like, yeah, just get a ticket. Maybe I can get you a press pass and like you can help me. It's, it shouldn't be a problem. So I was like, all right. So I had a couple of drinks. I just bought a ticket online to Kazakhstan. <laughs> I was like, who cares, right? I got an Airbnb and I showed up in Kazakhstan and uh, he introduced me to Lila Rosgonyi, who is the media communications director for IWF. And she's like, yeah, I can get you a press pass. Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, whatever Nat tells me to do, I'll, I'll be the second shooter. So he gave me a, a second camera and he gave me a video camera. And he's like, film as much as you can take these pictures, here are the settings on the camera, just do it. So I covered the 2014 uh, weightlifting championships in Almaty. And after that, they were like, Hey, Steve, we love you. You're hilarious. Like you're awesome. Everybody loves you. Can you do this again? I'm like, sure. Okay, great. We're going to fly you out to Peru for the youth world championships in Lima. Um, be there, be square. And that's how it all begins. So I just said yes to every assignment they sent me on. So I got to go all over the world and then when the time for Rio came up, they, you know, I was, uh, I was asked to go and I said, yes, of course, because you never say no to the Olympic games. And it knew it was just right place, right time. 
treat everyone right, work your ass off, love the sport, love the athletes, uh, communicate well. And luckily my, my, my language proficiency really helped me with the different teams. And so I just kind of, I just, that's how I built it. So you went from, in basically two years, you went from having, having never f- photographed weightlifting to being the official weightlifting photographer at the Olympic Games. So is that the IOC approaching you or the IWF approaching you for that? IWF. So the IWF gets essentially in the, in Rio, they got two spots for a photographer. So I got one of them. And then in this Tokyo games, they only got one. So I, I was the chosen one. Um, yeah, just super blessed, super lucky. Sometimes I wonder like, how do I get picked? But, but then I, when I start working and I know everyone, I know all the coaches and I know the federations and I know the athletes and I speak their language and I treat them right. And I send them the pictures and, you know, I start, I just start busting my butt for them. Then I realize, yeah, I do belong here because, because I care, I care about my job. I care about the athletes. I care about the coverage. I care about the sport. Um, so really, you know, who else better to do it than a, just a grassroots guy from Texas that loves the sport and is willing to do whatever it takes to, to get the job done. Well, you certainly have a, a, a warm and friendly personality and you make friends pretty easily. That much I know. Let's talk a little bit about contrasting your experience in Rio, right? Uh, with, with Tokyo, which is a games that took place under, you know, maybe let's call it slightly different circumstances. Yeah. yeah, they were, it was under uh, duress. And then, you know, a lot of the, the Japanese people weren't in favor of the games. So there was a, there was a sentiment that this shouldn't be happening. This is silly. This is reckless. Um so, you know, looking back on Rio, Rio, it's funny because people forget this. Right before Rio, there was a Zika outbreak. Remember Zika? Oh, yeah. I, I had completely forgotten about yeah, that. Yeah, everybody forgot about that. But like, because it really hadn't killed a bunch of people and, and, and it wasn't taking over the world like, like the coronavirus did, people were like, screw it. I'm going to the games no matter what. Um, and so, so Rio was like, no one really thought about Zika. Uh, and so when I got there, it, it was a free-for-all, man. I mean, it, you know, I had to book my own place and I had to pay for my own accommodations. Um, I actually stayed in a, a two-bedroom apartment with five people. Nat was one of them. Uh, and, um, and yeah, it was one bathroom for five people. Um, it was tough, man. It was, it was rough conditions uh, staying there. One of the girls on their trip got sick and she got food poisoning and she was and we only had one toilet. So we were peeing in the sink. It was hilarious. Like it, it was just, it was just a, a comedy capers. Um, but man, Rio, they had, it was tons of security because you have to in certain countries that are, uh, that have a history of violence, uh, like some sort of South, Amer- South American countries do. And they had the full force military out to protect everyone and make sure that nothing really crazy happened to the, to the people visiting. Um, but it was the full Olympic experience, David. I mean, I got to go to the American house party with the team USA on the beach in Ipanema beach. Um, my wife got to go with me. Uh, she got at full access to all the, to all the events. We got to go to track and field. I mean, we did it up, man. It, it was awesome. Um, and so that experience is one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. And then you fast forward to Tokyo where you don't know what's going to happen. You're, you're afraid to get, you know, coronavirus there because you're a foreigner. I had to buy re- repatriation insurance to make sure that if my body, if I died, that my body could be shipped back. Uh, that's, you some, get- that's some heavy stuff right there. Oh, yeah. It was, it was like people, a lot of people are like, are you sure you want to go? Like, this isn't good. Um, but you know, when you love the sport and, and, and you're 
and you're committed to making things happen, someone's got to cover it. Right. So might as well be me. Um, you know, you get there, you have to, I had to jump through hoops to get there, man. Uh, COVID tests before they had to be timed. I had a canceled flight 12 hours before I left. It was going to screw up the whole trip. Um, getting there, you get tested when you get in the airport, you get tested every single day. You can't go anywhere. You got to wear a mask everywhere, man. It was a challenge. It was, it was a more of a mental challenge to get through all the, the barriers just to walk around in public. And they don't want you out. Like you go to the venue then you go back to your hotel and that's the only place they want you. Um, they keep dibs on you. Uh, and so people were spying on you like, Hey, this person's out. Like they shouldn't be, we were getting emails like you shouldn't be out. So, um, but at the end of the day, the athletes need you to be there. And so you show up. Um, but the cool thing about Rio, the cool thing about Tokyo, David, that was different than Rio is that you have much closer access. It was a much more personal feel because there's less people there. There's less crowds to battle with. So you could, I, I could go anywhere I wanted. I mean, I could, I, I, I would be surprised if I wouldn't let, they wouldn't let me in the drug testing room while they're peeing and just be there, like just hanging out because like, that's how much access I had to everything. And Rio was not as much. I couldn't even go in the, in the, the warm-up room um, without getting kicked out. So I was able to just roam around freely um, and, and, and cover the sport and, you know, take, take the sickest, sickest angles possible. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the standout performances you've, you've photographed a lot of weightlifting events, two Olympic games. What are some um, between the two, actually, I, I guess between all the events you've photographed at this point, what are some standout performances that, that, you know, if you could relive, you would in a second that you've oh, been able man. to capture. That's a good, so all you're talking about all of them from both Olympic games or yeah. all? Yeah. Just let's say, let's say all of, let's say all of them. Cause you've, you know, you've, you've seen a lot of impactful historic lifting. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my first world championships in Kazakhstan when watching three world records go down, um, with, within the one Oh five class with, uh, Ilya Narudinov and Bedzenyan from Russia watching just three world records get popped. And then, um, watching Ilya on his last lift after missing his second clean and jerk, you know, successful clean and jerk to win the, the world championship. That was insane. I mean, that was like goosebump insane. Um, and his, his coach toy, Sean, his wife and I became friends on that trip. So she, I mean, it was just a, it was like, you felt like you were part of the Ilya fan club and you, you felt like, you know, you were part of their success, like one of their team, they really welcomed you in. Um, and so that one to me was just electrifying. Um, and then, you know, the first session in Rio, the 56 class, when, um, the, the Chinese, uh, long, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but anyways, he, he, he wins on the last lift against Amyun Chol. Like, you're like, oh my God, this is the Olympics. Like, I just watched this go down. I'm at the Olympics. I'm in the sea of, of Getty and Reuters and AP guys, all the, all the badasses in the industry. But one of the guys I was shooting with from, from uh, Reuters was the Nobel uh, oh, the Pulitzer, I'm sorry, not Nobel, Pulitzer Prize winning photographer from the year before. Like, you're talking about the world's best and you're sitting there. I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I don't even understand this. Um, and so, so after a while, like, it's sad to say that it, it does, you get a little numb to it. Like it, it just becomes like, okay, I'm covering it. it. That was cool. But when's the next session? Um, you know, watching Salini in Rio, like argue with the, with the officials go out to the jury table and get upset at 
the, the head juror. And like, what, when does this happen? Like, you couldn't stop Salimi. Everyone's chanting, shame on you. The whole Brazilian, like, army or, or Marines, whatever branch they were, come out with machine guns to surround the platform because they weren't sure if the Iranian fans were going to, like, storm out of their seats and, like, start throwing things or mobbing. Like, nobody knew what was happening. It was insane. And, and you're just like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe I'm covering this. So, um, you know, world record performances are cool. Um, but the stories to me, like those kind of moments were, were cooler watching Figueroa from Columbia win his first gold medal, watching him cry on the platform. I mean, you're talking like these athletes put in their years and years of hard work, their entire lives for a piece of metal, which is insane. Like you're like, wow, it's, it's a medal. It's just a medal. Like that's what we're going for. Um, but it means the world to them. And I mean, it could mean their future in their country if they get, you know, paid and, and, you know, look at Diaz uh, watching Hidlin Diaz from the Philippines, like win the first gold ever for the hist in the history of the country, not in the history of the sport in the entire country. And then watching uh Meso, uh, you know, when, when his first, the first gold medal for, for, for Cutter, and then, you know, they had a high jumper. I don't know, like a few days later, a high jumper shared the gold for Cotter too. So their second, it was just like being a part of that. And then having Meso text you after and be like, let's go party. Let's celebrate this gold medal. Like, you're like, wow, I'm a part of this thing. So, you know, really just being a part of all the volunteers, all the technical officials, all the people that make the sport go all the years that they spend. You know, I'm just a guy that jumped in and seven years ago and, and get to be a part of the craziest ride where people spent 30 years to get there. I mean, I'm just, I'm just blessed and fortunate. I'm just happy to just happy to be there and help share the experiences through photography uh, with these people. These are memories that they'll have forever. And it's because of photos, because, you know, your brain's only going to work for so long, but man, these memories will last forever. So, so I'm really proud that I'm able to do that for the sport and uh, represent at the highest level. It's, it's just amazing to me. Well, I got to ask one tough question and we don't have to get too much into this because um, a lot to be determined, but weight, weightlifting's place in the Olympics moving forward is let's call it tenuous. It's in grave danger, man. Honestly, it's in grave danger right now. And you are someone who has had, I don't want to say a platform side seat at the last two Olympic games. And you have seen, you've seen up close and personally the, the passion these athletes have for what they're doing. You say they put their whole lives into it and that's not an exaggeration. You know, do you, I was going to say, you know, do you agree weightlifting's place in the Olympics is in danger? Obviously. 100, yes. 100% it's in danger. I mean, I know things that probably a lot of people don't know because of how close I am with the Federation and, and knowing a lot of the executive board members and a lot of the technical officials and, and Sarah Davies is a good friend of mine, you know, just knowing what goes on and knowing the conversations that happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's in danger, man. There's, there's no way around it. Well, do you, do you hope to be, if it, if weightlifting is, is a part of the Paris Olympics, which is not guaranteed, right? I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people have seen that weightlifting has reduced quotas and they think that weightlifting is on the chopping block potentially for Los Angeles. It's not guaranteed for Paris. Um, but do you, I mean, would, would, this might be a, a rhetorical question or an easy answer. Would you photograph another Olympic game? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I might even go to, to uh, Uzbekistan in December if they, if this December's the date for the world championships, it's not going to be in the most interesting meet in the world, but you know, 
like these are all life experiences that when I'm when I'm old or when I'm dying and the, people are going to ask me like, hey, did Steve live a good life? Like, what did he do? What's his accomplishments? And I'll, and I'll be able to say, yeah, I went to X amount of Olympic Games. I went to 35 world championships. You know, I, I was all over the place covering something that he loved and helping other people create memories forever. Absolutely. I mean, I've done some assignments where I is not that much fun, but you do it because you love the sport. You know, to, uh, 2019 in Thailand, I wasn't a big fan of the city. There was not much to do. It, it wasn't anybody in the stands. Like it was, it was, I mean, I've seen more people in the stands at, at the last session of, of the Arnold's that was at 11 o'clock at night, you know, like, like this was a very poorly attended world weightlifting championship. And, uh, in the midst of the chaos of all the, the controversy with Ion and the German documentary, all that, I mean, I showed up and did it anyway, because you love the sport and you want to help the athletes. So yes, Will I be at every single event I can be at? Absolutely. Well, Steve, where's the best place for people to follow along with the work you're doing uh, in, in weightlifting and hopefully many more competitions and hopefully many more Olympic Games to come? Yeah, so uh, Sick Angles on Instagram is pretty much my only spot. I don't really, I haven't posted a lot yet from the Olympics because, you know, being a photographer and a former gym owner, uh, that doesn't create a lot of cash for you. So I have to have a copy job. And so I, I'm a full-time residential real estate guy here in here in South Texas in San Antonio. So that's my priority, and I'm actually very, very, very busy right now. So photography as a hobby, posting things on Instagram, which makes me zero dollars. It, it, it unfortunately I don't get I don't have the attention at the time to put into it. But they can follow me there. I will be starting to post a lot of my work uh, from Tokyo there uh, in the next few weeks. But I just, yeah, I'm a little weightlifted out right now. I just need to get back to work. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time, Steve. I'll let you get back to work. Have a great rest of your day. Always a pleasure chatting, my friend. Dude, awesome, David. Thank you so much for, for all that y'all do for the community, for all string sports. And I know you guys just acquired um, a magazine. Was it meant, which, which Break, breaking muscle, actually another Break, website. Yeah. Great dude. Congratulations. That's so cool, man. I knew you when you just started bar man. like, dude, this is, it's you're, you got a great story too. So one day I'll get big enough. I'll have a podcast and I'll have you on. Man, I'll, any excuse to talk to you, Steve, I'll take it. Sounds good to me. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much, man. <laughs>